Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new season of Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week... I'm talking to Lottie Hazel about her contemporary novel, Piglet. Lottie is a writer, researcher and board game designer living in Warwickshire. She's currently undertaking a PhD at Loughborough University and formerly worked as a marketing manager at Penguin Random House. In this episode, we discuss how Lottie does what she calls playful method writing by cooking along with Piglet to connect with her character's headspace. Why food is a great way for writers to explore characters. And after working and marketing at a publisher, Lottie's insider advice for new authors understanding and navigating the marketing side of publishing. Before we hear that, here's Lottie with an excerpt from Piglet. I have to tell you something, he said. Leaning over her in bed like that, his face looked slack, full of blood. His eyes were creasing and his lips were curling. Tears, she realised, her mind slow, fear unfurling in the bowl of her pelvis. He reached out, his hand touching her thigh. His fingers crept at her and she felt her eyes swivel in her head, looking down at his clutching extremities. She heard him talking, saw him grasping, and noticed how her flesh puckered beneath his fingertips. In between the folds of their sheets, he told her what he had done. She lay broken, her body naked, looked as if it had been spilled. Do you still want to get married? he asked, and she could not bring herself to shrug. I have to get up soon, she said. There was work in the morning, a wedding in thirteen, twelve days. He nodded, he lay down next to her, mirroring her cold body, two question marks in their premarital bed. Hi Lottie, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, Piglet. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to to chat about it. Can you start by telling us what Piglet's all about and introduce the novel to us? Yes, I can. So Piglet is um, a story about uh, our satisfactions and what happens when we kind of fail to be satisfied by the life that we've built for ourselves and it centers around our protagonist piglet in the run-up to her wedding and two weeks before she's due to be married her fiance kit reveals this terrible secret that threatens to um derail the life that she's built for them and it follows her over this kind of spectacular derailment and culminates in their 
wedding um, together. And it's kind of a story about her attempt to find a sense of satisfaction herself. And a lot of that is seen through the lens of food. So lots of food um, scenes. So much on. food. Like, yeah. uh, it's a, it was an absolute treat for me. I love food writing and, and just reading about people eating and I, I mean I was quite I, I was ill when I was reading this book and I had no appetite but I think if I read this book on a normal week I would have been absolutely starving yeah I I say to people when um I hand over a copy it's like I prescribe snacks as like a necessity because you will need them <laughs> yeah absolutely I wondered where if you can remember kind of the starting point of your inspiration like did it come from Piglet herself or this kind of um this kind of revelation we don't find out what the revelation is although I think you can kind of give it a good guess but um I was wondering kind of where that starting point was for you yeah it was the starting point for me was the dinner that Piglet makes for Kit the night after he reveals his confession to her and she's making them a carbonara and the scene is kind of this dogged domestic pursuit of like, I will continue to make dinner, even though my life has been cleaved <laughs> in half, like something bad has happened here. And I was fascinated by that dedication to continue and put away shopping and be spiky with one another and still be cooking for someone, even though you feel really hurt by them. And I feel that felt to me to be really curious and that felt like a real situation. I wanted to know what had happened between these two people and what was going to happen. And so I kind of, we started there, well, I started there and moved outwards. Did you, so that that scene came to you kind of just completely out of the blue and then you went from there? Did you kind of sit with the scene for a while or did you start straight away kind of building the world around them? That came out of the blue and I, um originally it was written slightly differently so there were no names so it was kind of he and she um and it was kind of more of a free writing piece so it was there was like there were no speech marks in it so some of it was confused about you know whether the list of putting away the groceries was speech or whether it was just a list on the page and so it came to me kind of really um undefined and then my job to from there was to work out not only what was happening and plot but also kind of stylistic treatment as well which was interesting in the interesting to develop because mm. you get the little snippets kind of throughout the novel be it kind of almost what's to come or a little hint towards Pickett's mindset and we and we find out before it happens that there's going to be this revelation 13 days before the wedding and the novel kind of almost counts down to the wedding and then um has that kind of almost I guess a sense of dread and anticipation that you're building towards. And I wonder whether that structural decision happened kind of fairly on, or was that something that came later where you chose to kind of give it that, um, what's it called, like a ticking clock, I suppose. Mm. I had always moved chronologically besides those kind of splinters in the text that you're referring to, where we get a sense of what's happening in the past and the future. Um, but the first edit, the first um, draft, sorry, was, um, I call it the P the um, kind of like the PG version is the trash draft. Otherwise, I use a swear word. <laughs> it's the shit draft, um, and that didn't have any sense of urgency or um, the ticking that you describe. And then in the edit, I had a very 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 heavy edit where it felt like the book really shed a skin, and that 
format really presented itself to me I didn't really feel like I planned it it was just like it felt very obvious it's like no no this is how the book needs to be structured it makes so much sense for the content to reflect the structure in terms of the kind of anxiety and the the time evaporating around Piglet um so yeah that happened much later on when the book was going through a heavy edit Mm. was that something that you were doing um the editing process with was that something that you did or was that kind of from advice from someone else or was it done with your editor how did that work so that edit was that was just me um and that was I was I wrote a version of Piglet as part of a creative PhD um and so at that time I was kind of doing two versions of the book at once one for my thesis and one for agent submission so this one that I had to have the heavy edge on was for agent submission and then it did have another edit again in collaboration with my agent when um when I pitched to her and we started to collaborate, but that was much lighter and it was much more itself as a book. It was that first one, which was just me kind of like in November and December, not talking to anyone and going mad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to talk about the name Piglet and we don't find out Piglet's real name until one very small mention at the end. Um, Can you tell us the significance of the title and her name and, and her nickname, sorry, and where it all came from. Yeah, I just find nicknames to be fascinating. I'm the person that will rarely call someone that I know by their full name. Um, but I find nicknames, especially nicknames for women and how they can stick in a familial sense, I think they can be so useful for conveying a sense of relationship and how someone has um, come to be in a family unit. Um and her name not being revealed was a bit of a challenge logistically when writing about it because obviously in a work setting people are calling her piglet so working around um that kind of thing was um some fun kind of hurdles to work work through but it was one of those things where that was her name arrived to me almost immediately like when I started writing about it I knew that I wanted to um look at nicknames and the importance of that and in a very early version of the book no one had real names so um kit was the fiance and you know everyone was kind of nameless and it was i think i was trying to figure out how to write about her identity um but that got quite complicated quite quickly so everyone had to have names beside piglet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah the logistics like when people decide that they're not going to give their character a name at all and I know people have kind of bent over backwards trying to do that and it's really hard it's so hard <laughs> um can you tell us a bit more about Piglet how you kind of created her character she I I mean there's always there's always a debate isn't there about you know what makes a character likable or relatable or what have you and um I just thought she was such a great character because she felt so real and even her more extreme behavior you can you get the threads of where it came from and it just yeah just feels believable so can you tell us about how you kind of went about creating her yeah it's so interesting to hear you talk about likable characters because doesn't that come up frequently whereas all the time yeah I'm not that interested in likable Mm. characters compelling absolutely Mm. every character I read I want to be compelled by but likable I can take or leave Mm. um but when I was writing Piglet I playfully talk about um doing something which I call method writing, which is um, for Piglet, I was cooking along as I was 
writing the book so everything she was cooking or eating I was also cooking and eating including the croque-en-bouche cannot make <laughs> croque-en-bouche <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> my terrible experience um that, so, that passage where she makes the croque-en-bouche like one of the most stressful sections of a book I've ever read now <laughs> you, you read it and you're thinking it's literally shoe buns and custard creme pat how can it yeah. be like it's more stressful than I don't know a bomb going off or something like, <laughs> so you're like oh my goodness just stop making it you're driving yeah. me mad yeah <laughs> yes it's excruciating yeah I feel um oddly proud about my um well I hope my ability to um engineer just terror with pastry life goals <laughs> I think um what were you asking me about, oh, about so how do you create people did yeah. you I mean you said you started with the scene and it kind of went from there did you were you kind of consciously um create I guess creating kind of scenes around what you thought she was like as a character or did you sit down and work in a kind of more methodical way to decide like who she was you know where where her identity came from and all that sort of thing yeah I when it comes to characters I am much more of a kind of heart and feeling writer in terms of I don't map out CVs or you know language or anything like that I the way I connect with people I was I was cooking with her and most of her big scenes involving food are the scenes that I wrote first so they were kind of the bones of the book which I then kind of wove together and and started to write between them and for me the cooking for her especially was really important because it felt like developing some kind of sensory empathy in which exist a reproductive writing space not only to connect with her as a character but also to put me in a headspace of um a kind of emotive headspace for writing um that was really useful for me when it came to building character mm. can you tell us a bit more about the food writing then because it isn't really just piglet that has kind of issues with food or kind of um you know emotional connections to it we see that with her we see it with their sister um, um, but food is obviously plays an important role in her relationship with Kit and her family and, and friends. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about um, kind of the relationship between these characters and, and food? Yeah, for me, food is everything. Like I want to know what people have for breakfast. I want to know what's for dinner. Um, and I think it's such a productive tool for writers as a shorthand to illuminate character and relationships and um, I don't know if the books that I write in the future will be so, you know, centred on food, but I think I will always turn to, you know, what has someone brought to a dinner party or what someone left on their plate as a way to explore character and what it might say about them. Um, and I'm interested in how food intersects with other kind of larger dynamics at play. So um, gender roles, class, family dynamics, mm. Um I think there's so much to be explored there and I hope that readers find those threads throughout the book as well that I I really enjoyed putting together. Yeah, I really enjoyed the stuff that was kind of quite snobby from Piglet's point of view about, you know, um, her family coming down and then they end up going to Nando's and you can just feel her kind of, you know, despair that she has to go to Nando's. Yeah. Um, and it's all that, what's that feeling of like, you're you're judging Piglet for the way she's judging her family, but you mm. can also see it in. I mean, I don't. I don't I'm, I'm a complete, complete food obsessive, so maybe this is just me. But you know, I love my food and I love going out somewhere fancy, and then 
if someone doesn't, I don't know, someone's never eaten. I think my dad had never eaten or didn't know what Chipotle was. And I'm just like, how can you not know what Chipotle is? Right? <laughs> um, so it's all that, those kind of things that interplay, like you said, with class and age and um, gender yeah. and all this. It's fascinating. I, I even, I'm even kind of the sort of person that finds those threads on Twitter where it's like, if you can only pick three things um, on your roast dinner, what would they be? And I'm looking at people's oh, cool question. and judging people for picking, you know, um, carrots. Like, why would you pick carrots <laughs> out of everything? <laughs> Potatoes, surely. Potatoes yeah. from Potatoes are my number one. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I have a, a a joke with a friend of mine because I'm literally potato obsessed. So, yeah. Potato- all the best people <laughs> are. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, I, I love I love all the food stuff. So, um, and I find it, like you say, I find the kind of, connection between food and relationships and everything so fascinating so yeah it's a great great book for that I'd love yeah. to hear a little bit more about your kind of your routine and how you approached writing this novel um you know whether how much did you kind of plan how much did you kind of go into it just completely kind of splurging on the page like what was your like general writing routine like yeah as a writer, I'm very committed to plot and I'm in awe of writers who can sit down and say, I'll just see where it takes me. I'll see what the characters do because I'm like, what will they do? <laughs> where will they go if you don't know? Um, so I'm really um, a big proponent of plot. And the way I wrote Piglet was I planned out the plot beats for the first draft, which at the end of the first draft, as I've already told you, was terrible. Um, but it was useful to have what I saw as a skeleton of the book there so I could write freely and I could play I think without those confines I would find it I would just wander off and meander into the ether um I'm curious if I can write more consciously in the future so not having to go through such a terrible draft in the first instance but maybe that's a rite of passage for every book I don't know um but certainly plot plotting first writing second then a very heavy edit and then kind of polishing it's kind of I think my process is quite industrious rather than creative it's I don't feel very exciting describing it to you <laughs> I think that's the reality for most people though I mean there's you know there's the illusion of you know sitting down at your beautiful desk with a candle lit and a nice coffee and you know the words just come to you but that doesn't happen like I don't know anyone that happens to it's yeah. like sitting down looking at your notes despairing that what you wrote yesterday was crap like all, all those things uh are part of it do you think that I mean I don't know whether whether it's wishful thinking but do you think your process may have changed now moving on to writing another book or do you think you're going to still be doing the same kind of things you did with, with your first draft, uh, book I would like to think that it's evolving in some way because I think with the first this is true of Piglet but it's more true of I'm writing a second book now is that I'm I'm writing scenes that I do like. I like them and I think, well, this might not need much editing. I think this is quite a nicely formed scene and it's, it makes me feel something. But the question is, how do you make them into a book? <laughs> that's, mm. that's always a thing about how does it stitch together and how does it become something that is worth the reader's time? And so I would like it to evolve. I'm going to try and evolve it for the next book, whether that will work. I don't know. I can always fall back on writing something terrible and then trying to make it better. <laughs> Brilliant. I wondered whether you can remember a time where you decided that you were going to take your writing seriously, because I think 
a lot of us have that feeling where, you know, you write for fun, you write as a kid, and then there's a point in time where you think, you know, I want to be published, I want to have my words out there. Can you remember that moment and how you how you kind of made the moves to become in, in the publishing world? Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting question because before um, I saw Piglet, I was writing short stories and poems and submitting them for prizes and and stuff like that. So I'd always taken it seriously in that I had an awareness of the importance to build profile, I suppose, in terms of um, having a way to market myself. But I think in terms of the novel, I think that I became properly serious about that when... I had decided to pursue my PhD because it was a opportunity to dedicate myself to a long form piece of fiction with a project in a kind of, which I think is kind of sad because I think that you, one shouldn't have to wait for, you know, a project with a label on to, um, to write a novel like I think if you can do it you shouldn't and do it as quickly as you can but I think that's when I was taking myself seriously um but I think that also says probably more about how I felt about my writing at that time and I think it's probably growing confidence to follow through with the project like as I was saying I was favoring shorter forms because I could finish those in an afternoon or you know a couple of days but a novel as you know is is a responsibility (laughs) (laughs) did you feel like you needed that almost validation to kind of keep going and carrying on I don't know if it's validation because I wouldn't say that I suffered with imposter syndrome but I think it's more the kind of I think it's the structure of having something attached to the novel in a way having research having research questions attached to the novel was interesting in terms of its shaping because I wasn't only writing for the the thesis version of the novel I wasn't only writing that for the sake of writing it but also to kind of answer academic questions as well um which will be interesting in the next novel that I write I shan't do a PhD for that one um it'll just be <laughs> me and the page yeah, I think that'd be quite a, an undertaking if you decided that every novel needed a PhD alongside it. Yeah, that can't be my process. <laughs> I can't be it. No, no, not at all. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by this this other version of the novel. Um, kind of how different is it, and is it more? Um, would you say like more academic? Like what what's what's different about it? I'm guessing obviously it didn't go through the edits that that Piglet went through when you sold it, but what what's different about it? Yeah, it's not too fair. It's not hugely different. There are, it's shorter, so I, it was extracted. Um, but there's one quite significant difference, which experiments with kind of a hallucinatory realism. Um, so the wedding scene, rather than just her and Kit and kind of her existential crisis, which is still very much rooted in reality, even though it's um, getting to be quite intense at that point, there's uh, when she's in the church she starts experiencing the world as if it is you know edible and it becomes almost kind of like this horror nightmare for her um, at that moment at this kind of point of intense crisis so that's one of the massive differences is is the wedding scene is is the uh, the thesis version 
it's more experimental than mm. the <clears throat> than what I call the commercial version. But both are interesting to write, and I'm pleased in a way that I've got that they both exist in the world. Yeah, I'd love to write your kind of your horror horror writing because I feel like you do that particularly with the with the food. You do that kind of tension so well, and that kind of um, there's another scene in the book which um, I won't spoil that takes place in. Those couple of scenes that take place in restaurants are very stressful because you're just feeling like you're anticipating what's going to happen next and you're dreading it, but um, brilliantly done. Yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with, I don't know if this is even a term or a genre, but like domestic thrillers, so like Leave mm. the World Behind and Our Wives Under the Sea. Oh. Like I love that kind of like... You're speaking my language, Lottie. Those two are my favourite books. <laughs> yeah. I just think they're so brilliant and so mm-hmm. just you just feel the emotional intensity and the creep of them and I just think mm-hmm. as if I can capture any of that that'd be that's the dream yeah um I love those books so yeah write that next that, that'd be, uh, that'd be good. <laughs> here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to get your agent and how your book deal came about? Was it through your PhD that you you found your agent? Uh, no, it wasn't. So, um, they those two things are kind of running on fairly different tracks, although in parallel. Um, so I was preparing my novel for submission in the winter of. 2021 and then sent out in January which I always think is a good time to send out agent submissions because everyone's got like a right I want this for this year I'm going to try and acquire x y and z um and so I had targeted in a non-creepy non kind of serial killer way my (laughs) um agent Harriet Moore um who 
has amazing um, collaborators like Sophie McIntosh and uh, Nisha Dolan and Megan Nolan. So it's like she had this, it's like Sir List. And I was like, if this one person, like this would be the dream. Um, and I sent it out to a few other people at the same time. And she replied almost immediately. And it felt like one of those things where it's like, oh, this feels fateful, where it was a back and forth of an exciting, um, yeah, so at the beginning of an exciting relationship. Um, and then I very quickly signed with her. And I was like, thank you. You didn't know I was a weird obsessive. Thank God I snuck in before you can discover me. Um, and then Harriet is a brilliant editor, and so we were polishing Piglet together. Um, and with her help, the book became even tighter and sharper and more focused, um, which benefits it in terms of the momentum that it has, I hope. Um, and then we, we, she, I wasn't really, I had no leg work in this, she pitched it to publishers in October and then um, it was sold to Doubleday in the UK and Henry Holt in the US later that month. So it was a what is, I think, quite quick in terms of usual publishing. Um, and I feel really lucky to have connected with Harriet and to found in her a kind of like a faithful collaborator who thinks in similar terms to me because I think that you could take Piglet in a very different direction. Mm -hmm. And when we were selling the book, there were some editors that were saying, oh, well, could you reveal what happens at the end? Or um, had you thought about writing a different ending for it? And I'm really grateful for Harriet and my editors in the UK and the US that they had the same kind of vision as me for the book and wanted to kind of experiment in the same way that I did. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, that kind of shared vision is so important because it would be awful to change the book into something it wasn't and then regret it and yeah I wish I hadn't done that but yeah, yeah. For the, kind of for the sake of being published but I think sometimes you've got to fight for what you think is important about the book and um yeah I'm, I'm glad it it's I'm glad it's the form it is um, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um you've had quite a, a kind of interesting career in terms of your side involvement in publishing because and I think I wanted to ask you about this because I wondered whether it kind of made the whole industry easier to understand and navigate because I think we all tackle it from a, a very outside point of view and it's very opaque. Um, but you have worked uh, for Penguin Random House and also freelance um, in the marketing department and you've kind of seen it from the other side. Mm. And I wonder whether that helps you kind of when it came to understanding how your novel was going to be pitched or where it was going to sit and did it make it easier to kind of keep your expectations in check about what's going to happen for Piglet um, and give you that understanding of what publishing is really like? Yeah, I think it undoubtedly helps. And I think in a way it makes me kind of, it's a, I think it's depressing in a way, because as you said, it's quite an opaque industry. So I think if you haven't worked inside of it or have an idea of the process, it can be, firstly hard to infiltrate or not it's not clear exactly what kind of check boxes you should be looking to to hit and then secondly it's not always clear what you should expect from a book campaign like what you should expect from your marketing and publicity um colleagues who you're working with on your book so certainly it helped knowing how it works from the other side um and i think it also is one of those things where I think that having been in the industry 
I also was aware of things like comparative titles when I was pitching to my agent, where to find my agent, looking like I've looked in the acknowledgements of some of my favourite books. But I think just having a bit of a roadmap of how the how the life cycle of a book would work, I think was definitely helpful in my, not so much my expectations, but my knowledge of what to expect. So mm-hmm. I suppose my expectations, it wasn't so much for managing my expectations, but knowing what might or might not work yeah I think as I think I think it's difficult as well because we see everyone else's marketing campaign and you're looking at it thinking should I be getting this or mm-hmm. it happen for me and it, and a lot of things obviously are done behind the scenes which we're not aware of yeah but you were able to kind of just almost I suppose sit back and think I know what's happening behind the scenes and it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's that thing of being like, having been a marketer in a large publishing house, that it's okay if you're a debut and being like, is this going to happen? Like your marketer isn't offended by the question. Um, and even if the answer is no, for whatever reason, it's still absolutely fine to ask mm. and to, you know, and to advocate on behalf of yourself and your book. Like I think as a novelist, you're still maybe with alongside your agent you're still the novels one of their biggest champions mm-hmm. and so I think that goes even once you've been acquired with your publisher you know adding to the energy of the campaign and and asking what's going on is all is all crucial I think. When you're thinking of kind of marketing things and like comp titles and where it's pitched and how it could be marketed are those things you think about once you've written a book or are they things that you're thinking about as you're writing because I think this is something that comes up quite a lot where some writers are dead against that and they're like no I don't think about you know how I'm going to pitch this or what the hook is but then other writers almost write to a hook to Mm. a pitch yeah where where does it come for you like does it come near the end or kind of nearer the beginning when you're writing I don't think that I'd be able to write to a hook but I certainly I write the kind of books that I want to read. So in a way, the comps are like, I also enjoyed these books. And I think that if you read Piglet, you'd like um, X, Y, or Z. And so I think that for me, it's less of a kind of a conscious decision about what the comparative titles are and what the hook might be. It's more, I'd like to read something like this book. I'd like to create this. And I and I see there's a gap. No one else has done something that's quite like this. Um so that's where I'd like to position it. And I think that's more productive for me rather than trying to create a brief for myself. I mm. think it's more following a desire of what I'd like to read. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had to ask you that because I wondered whether you, you've got some kind of like a separate marketing hat and a separate writing <laughs> hat, whether they kind of merge together. Fascinating. Um, I always ask my guests this question um, because I think it's kind of useful Um to to see what your experience has been and I know you're kind of only just starting on your journey of being published but um obviously there are kind of ups and downs of being a debut and what would your advice be to people who are maybe just embarking on having signed a contract and are anticipating their publishing journey ahead what would your advice be to kind of stay sane stay happy um throughout that journey I think um, I think I take great comfort in being proud of my work, and um, I think 
everyone who gets to the point of having a book published, there's someone that wants to read that book, so it wouldn't be published if not. And I think take comfort in that and take confidence from that. And if you feel like you want to advocate for your book in some way on whatever platform, know that you should do that because of, you know, it being bought to be published, like it, it, it wants to be read. And so I think that would be my piece of advice is to kind of like trust and um, find a sanctuary in yourself and in your work. And um, yeah, I, I think, I think that would be it. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, turn to new writing when they're, when they're going through kind of the publishing process because they find it a comfort. And also I know people that have, when they're on the submission process, they've started writing a new book. Personally, I could not do that because I was just like, <laughs> the most stressful couple of weeks um, of my life. And I can't imagine being in a space to be creative at that point, but mm. um, I take my hat off to those who do manage it. Um, lastly, finally, I'd love to find out what you're writing next. If you can give us any kind of teaser at all about what might be next for you? Well, I think I'm staying within the realms of the kind of intensely emotive domestic fiction. Um, but after our conversation, maybe I do need to kind of dance over to the the horror side. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to sway you, but I mean, I think I'd love <laughs> it. But I, I know that I would really enjoy it. Um, so I, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm really into that kind of slightly blurry, horror-y, folk horror area um, yeah. that we were yeah. speaking about so um yeah write that next uh <laughs> yeah me too no I think the what I'm writing next as ever I think it will always focus on the kind of grit and the tension between relationships and between people and I think that can be extrapolated out to any genre but that is what I'm most interested in in those moments yeah oh well I can't wait to read what you write next time and I'm intrigued to see how much food is going to feature next time um, I'm sure I won't be able to resist <laughs> but in the meantime thank you so much Lottie for joining me on the podcast today thank you Claire it's been a pleasure that was Lottie Hazel talking about her contemporary novel Piglet which is out on the 25th of January and available to pre-order now and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.